Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us tonight, thank you for being here. We welcome you. We hope that you can come back time and time again. If you would be open your Bibles to Philippians, the third chapter, that'll be on about page 1044 of your pew Bibles. If you want to follow along there also, we are uh, glad to see our young people back that were away this weekend. We are thankful to have young people that want to be a part of weekends uh, where they can be spiritually uplifted. And we're thankful for all the adults that were a part of that and the great good that came uh, about and the growth that surely can take place because of this past weekend. Uh, also, while that was taking place, we want to uh, congratulate Andrew uh, Phillips. He graduated with a graduate degree, a, a master's degree at Harding's Graduate School in Memphis, the School of Religion, and we uh, congratulate him. It's wonderful uh, that, that God has blessed him so much and he chooses to use the knowledge and the abilities that God has given him in the way that he does. I know we went over this afternoon to the gathering at Curd Road and led a few songs for them, and it's wonderful uh, that, that he's a part of the life of this church and the way he continually blesses uh, this congregation in the way that, that he uh, works and serves, and we're so thankful for him. Uh, we're thankful for Doug Williams and all that he did to put together Friends Day uh, last week and the great success that it was. Uh, Sunday morning, just seeing so many of you and being introduced to so many of your friends was so encouraging. And then looking back through the visitors' cards during the week, there were just so many visitors here, and we are so thankful for that. Let's make sure we do what we can do to follow up. Let's be prayerful. Uh, let's give another invitation. Let's do what we can do to encourage people to be a part uh, of God's family. Also, uh, we think back uh, how wonderful it was Sunday evening. So many stayed after. Probably one of the largest crowds that we've had to stay after the, the Sunday evening meals. And uh, you know how when you, well, you might not do this, but sometimes things just come out wrong when I say things. Last Sunday, I wasn't trying to dog the hot dogs, okay? Uh, you know, I, I said something about how much can you do with hot Hey, uh, I owe those guys an apology. I've been getting it hard from those guys. And uh, I owe those guys an apology. Uh, we are thankful for the gourmet meal that was served afterwards. Uh, it, was, it was very delicious. It was well prepared. It was well thought out. And the crowd was large, and they were happy, and that's what we wanted. And uh, God blesses us richly with a lot of folks that's willing to work hard and do uh, what's needed. And we want to encourage you, find a place that you're needed. Find a place to serve. And make sure you're not just somebody that attends. Make sure you're using the ability God has given you in some way in the life of this church. And that's when we can do the most good for God. Picking up, in a sense, where we left off this morning, but in a sense, it's not that either. Because what I wanted to do this evening is take some passages that I noticed whenever I was preparing this morning's lesson, and I'd like for us to look a little deeper. I'd like for us to look at some things that pertains to uh, things that's very easy to rule our life. I mentioned a few of these uh, this morning. I want to just mention these by introduction, and then we're going to go into a study of Philippians, the third chapter. You know, when I think about the things that for us as people that live in North America, what probably is the easiest things to allow to rule our life. They rule our heart, they rule our time, and I'm not saying that all these uh, would pertain to all of us, but if we just had to look across the majority of Americans, materialism is a great struggle for a lot of Americans. You know, Canada Mint has just released the largest gold coin 
uh, anywhere in the world. Uh, it is 20 inches in diameter. It's made of pure gold. It's an inch thick. It weighs 220 pounds, and it's called a million-dollar coin. Now, the irony of that is that if you want to buy one, and three have already been sold, you have to wait six weeks, and at the gold price today, it's $2.7 million, even though it's called the million-dollar coin. Well, you know, the idea in many Americans' mind is bigger's better. It just means if you have more, you're more successful. You're a better person. You've achieved more. You know, it's the idea that it's got to be a bigger house. It's got to be a newer car. It has to be more expensive clothing. It has to be a job that brings in a greater income. And if you can do any of those things, you have achieved. And if you can do more of those things, you've achieved more. Or is that such a materialistic mindset? Materialism does not designate anyone's success, except maybe in materialistic gain. But it doesn't define a person in the sight of God. Friends, I could take you to some of the back hollers that I grew up in, and I could pull you into some driveways of some of the finest people God's ever created that are true success stories, and they wouldn't have a large bank account to show you. They wouldn't have some great title to show you their name and some huge pay stub that they could give you. But you know what? In God's eyes, and what matters the most, they are success stories. It's so easy for us to get caught up into materialism to think that, a, that economy and, and economics and personal finance defines a person. In God's eyes, it doesn't. We think about the physical body. If you just dropped in from Mars, probably none of you have done that lately, but if you had and you were a Martian and you knew nothing about America and you dropped into North America and you just started looking at the billboards and you started listening to what people talk about and you looked at their daily routine, you'd probably believe that one of the gods of our society is the human body. We tend to worship the human body. The idea that the... The, the people that are uh, the most fortunate are the one that have a distinct beauty, that have uh, certain characteristics about a chiseled body or, or whatever it might be. You see the advertisements, and it doesn't matter what the product is that's being sold, there is a particular model that is standing beside that product or is holding that product. And when you look at all the workout gyms, they seem to almost outnumber churches today. When you listen to what people do in their regular schedules, how often do you hear somebody say, well, just after I read my Bible today, I'll meet you at such and such. You probably haven't heard that lately. But keep your ears open. You'll hear somebody say, when I leave the gym, I'll meet you. Why? Because we place as a society a huge emphasis on the body. Now remember, Paul taught Timothy that spiritual exercise is far superior to physical exercise. And it's bodily exercise, he says in that text, it is worth much less than the spiritual exercise. But we struggle with that because our society struggles with it. When we look at sports, how hard is it to believe here in North America that sports is not really where it's at when we think of things that are the most important. Now, friends, I don't want you to think David Shannon is against taking care of your physical body. David Shannon is against making money. David Shannon is against sports. I'm not against any of these. We're talking about things now that it's easy to let them rule our life. 
We can take kids that are six, seven years old, and it's easy for sports to take over their whole family. We can take individuals that don't have any kids at home anymore, and it's easy for sports to take over their family. They can drop thousands of dollars on on season passes and traveling long distances, and they can take themselves completely out of the work of the church because, after all, it's this season this time of the the year, and it's this season the next another time of the year, and it's this season another time of the year, and all of a sudden, there's not time to really invest in God's work because, after all, I've got to be a part of my sports teams. And the irony of that is when people complain about the church, sometimes what they say is, all the church wants is is my money. Friends, I, I want to tell you something. If you want to use that logic, that's all sports wants. That's the only thing they want is your money. I can tell you, the Titans could care less if you're failing in health right now. They're not going to send you a card when your parent dies. They're not going to come by and check on you whenever you're going through a hard time. All they want is your money. Now, if you can use that as entertainment, that's great. But that'd be a foolish, foolish thing to allow rule your life. And when we think about television, how many hours a day does the average American spend investing their life. That's what time is. Time is life. Investing their life. The average three-year-old sees 700 commercials a week. One-fourth of all six-year-olds have a television in their bedroom. When you link together television time and internet surfing time, How many hours is that in your life? And how does that translate over for us to be able to say strictly from an element of time, hey, it doesn't rule my life. I definitely spend more time with God. I definitely spend more time laboring in His kingdom. I definitely spend more time reading scriptures, preparing for Bible classes, etc. than I do the television. Friends, It's not just you and I. Since the beginning of time, people have had to guard their heart so as to not let things that can be good on their own take over and rule their life. As we look at the rest of this lesson tonight, I hope that whatever it is that is vying for your heart wanting to take over the place and the time that you ought to be giving God, let's use this as a time to say, I don't want my appetite to become my God. In other words, the way it's said oftentimes in the Scriptures, I don't want my belly to become my God. And there he's not talking about just food, the hunger for food. He's talking about the inner hunger that we have when we say, but I really want to do that. You see, oftentimes those things that we say, I really want to do that, they can be sinful things. They can be things that we take out of balance and we just put too much of a good thing so that it becomes a negative thing. And so look with me, if you will, to Philippians. And let's look here at Philippians, the third chapter. And notice as we begin reading at verse 17. Philippians, the third chapter and verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example 
And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Now this is interesting because we sometimes read about disfellowshipping and marking or noting someone that's a bad example. This is interesting because here is a time where Paul says, I want you to take time to note the ones that are living right and I want you to follow their example. Any of us that have children at home right now or if you have grandchildren, I want to encourage you to note the people that are faithful, people that have succeeded in living the Christian life as you are in the presence of your children and your grandchildren. They need to see. They hear enough at school and they hear enough when they're involved in activities and when they're watching TV and all. They hear enough about all of these people that ought to be esteemed because of the intellect they have, because of the athletic ability that they have, because of the way they can seem, because of the way they can act. And there's nothing wrong with, with those things. But isn't it a shame if the only people that are noted in the lives of our children are those that have excelled in everything except living the Christian life. Paul writes here and says, I want you to note some people that's living the godly life. Let them stand out. Let those people be some heroes in your life. Now notice verse 18. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. You see, now we're talking about a different group of people. 17, he talks about those that are living the Christian life. 18, now with tears in his eyes, he says, but I also have to tell you. He's talking about those that apparently are religious. Those that, that would be in the mix of the church, but the problem is they're not really Christians. They're enemies of the cross. Now notice what they're guilty of in verse 19. Keep noticing the word whose or who. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So you see, he says, I want to tell you about the people whose God is their belly. Well, we know the end of those people. The end of those people is going to be destruction. But know back how their mind works. When he talks about their mind, he says they set their mind on earthly things. And then when it comes to glorying, things that ought to blush. They ought to be ashamed about. They're not. They're glorying in this. They're bragging in this. And the end of that is destruction. Now notice how all this fits together again. Who are these people? When their inner self becomes their God, they're going to think only about temporal and earthly things and things that are wrong, they're going to glory and brag about them. The end in eternally is destruction. Do you remember, and, and I'm just going to read this very quickly, but I want to remind you of a passage. When I read that, I couldn't help but think about Jeremiah, the sixth chapter. In Jeremiah, the sixth chapter, this was when uh, the destruction of the north was coming in. And notice as I begin reading at 13, he says, Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophets, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. You see the setting? He says, everybody's become covetous. Even the religious leaders are, are dealing falsely with each other. Everybody has become bad. But notice what they do. In the midst of their bad, they, they, um, they say, they have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there, where there is no peace. You see that? Oh, it's not really that bad. Things are really good. We're covetous. We're dealing dishonestly with each other. 
we're doing all right. We're doing good. Jeremiah writes and says, it's not good. It's not good at all. And so here is where he says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall, and at the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Let's see if we can work through this. Who is it when their God is their belly? It's people that have earthly thoughts. What's covetousness? That's an earthly thought. What's dealing in a wrong or sinful manner with others? That's an earthly thought. Now, they ought to be ashamed of that. Were they? No. They were glorying in the fact that they were doing wrong by saying, peace, peace, everything is good. Even says here, they did not know how to blush. They no longer had a conscience that felt guilty so that they would blush, believing their wrong was completely justified. What was the end? You remember the end in Philippians is destruction, and that's what he says here. The end, the fall of them, is going to be destruction. Now, as we go back uh, to our Philippians, the third chapter, I'd like for you to notice on this next slide. Note again in verse 19, which we've already read, whose God is their belly. Now, that, that word there for belly is interesting because it is a word, if, if you'll notice there, corlea and corlea. Notice the definition, a cavity, the abdomen, by implication, matrix. In other words, a, a place that something originates and grows from. Figuratively, it's the heart, the belly, the womb. But now note, that's figuratively. In other words, that's not the usual word for heart or womb or belly. It's figurative speaking here. So when he says their God is their belly, what is he saying? He's literally saying there's an inner cavity within man where man's desires flow and man wants his way, an appetite, a desire. We usually call that the carnal nature. He says... These people, these people are hung up on what is the inner desire. You know, a way this is so well described that we can understand easily is in Jeremiah, the 10th chapter, verse 23. You remember this verse? O Lord, I know that the way of man is, notice this, not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. You see what Jeremiah is saying? We can't look within ourselves and find the way to live. Hinduism, aspects of yoga, the New Age movement, and almost every new religion that you hear of where we say, that's kind of far out. Many of the positive thinking groups, you know what they teach? That your God can be your belly. They won't say it in those words. But that's what they're saying. Look within you. Find within you the power. Find within you the strength. I need to be humble enough to listen to God where God tells us the way's not within us. Not naturally. That can be within us when we learn God's way and we place that within our heart. 
But friends, if I think I'm just going to sit and meditate by my own human wisdom and I'm going to figure out the right way to live, I'm going to figure out the right way to serve God or the right way to worship God, I'm fooling myself. Really, I'm guilty of what he teaches at one time of being self-willed worship, where really it's an effort to worship God, but it's really just what I want to do. Now, how familiar does that sound today? Where people, people say, oh, I love when we do this in worship. It makes me feel so good. I want us to start doing this. I want us to practice this. What are we supposed to do in worship? What we will? What feels good to us? What seems significant to us? It's not within us to figure out how to worship. Well, what should we do? Go back and see what God asks of worship. As we think about this, I'd like for you to see two other passages where belly is used in this same sense just to help us get some groundwork as as we dig a little deeper tonight and then we'll extend an invitation. Look with me, if you will, to Romans, the 16th chapter. In Romans, the 16th chapter, look in verse 17 through 19. Now, this is just the opposite of what we read a while ago when he was noting someone that was living the Christian life. Now, he says, I want you to note someone that's not. Look at verse 17, Romans 16 and 17. Now, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattery speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. What was the warning here? You saw it in the middle verse that we read there. The warning was he's saying, look, there's some people that their God is their belly. They serve an inner desire. They don't look and say, God, I want your will to be done in my life. How am I going to interact with my neighbors? I want God's will to be done. How am I going to worship? I want God's will to be done. When it comes to the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of salvation, I want God's will to be done. Can we say that in every aspect of our life? Or do we find ourselves constantly saying, I feel God would want me We have no business feeling what God would want because we're not God. And the feelings of God are not within us. So here's some individuals that he speaks of they're they're serving not, see in 18, not Jesus Christ, but their own belly. What was the result? In 17, the result was it was causing divisions and offenses because they were contrary to to the doctrine. Now this is common sense, but I want to go ahead and state it and make sure that we all are on the same page of thinking here. Do you realize if we just started around this auditorium right now and says, how do you feel that we ought to, and you can just fill in the blank, no matter what it is. If you want to talk about a day-to-day matter, if you want to talk about a doctrine of the church, if you want to talk about how to work, it doesn't matter what it is. How do you feel And everybody's just supposed to give their opinion. Do you realize the division and the controversy that would be stirred if we started living a life as a religious group of people based on how everybody felt? If everyone's God was their belly, we would have a lot of division, a lot of controversy. 
Paul writes in Romans, and he says, listen, there has been a lot of division. There have been a lot of problems. And the reason is because of people's God. It's that inner cavity that longs and desires to do things their way. And he even warns some of those people are going to have smooth words and flattering speech. But notice the end of 19. At the end, he said, I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. The word simple here literally means unmixed or harmless. When it comes to evil, are we going to be mixed into it? No, no. I, I, I don't want to mix with evil. You remember this morning's lesson? I want to love the things God loves, and I want to hate the things God hates. God hates evil. I don't want to mix with that. I want to be simple. In other words, I want to stay with God. Nothing more and nothing less. That's simple. It's not a, a mixture of anything else. Look with you at 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. We see another time that the belly is used in a sense to talk about the appetite of man, that if we rely upon that, it will lead us into the wrong way. Now, as we go from 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, verse 12 to the end, verse 20, he's talking about the way we use our bodies, and especially here he's talking about from a sexual standpoint. That is the introduction into the 7th chapter, which is about marriage. But it's in this setting that probably what he is doing is he is quoting a group or a, um, a saying, a philosophy of those in Corinth. Now notice this that he quotes in verse 13. Foods for the stomach and the stomachs for food. And most scholars believe that was probably something very commonly said among them where they would try to justify if they had an inner appetite, an inner desire to do something, it just seems natural. So if the stomach is made for food and food is made to go into the stomach, you shouldn't tell me that I don't need to be a glutton. Let's go on a little further here. But God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that the bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. So you, you see what Paul's done here. He says, okay, you guys have had a philosophy that said, if it's a natural desire, there can't be anything wrong with it because that's just the way we're made. Food, stomach, the body, and sexuality. And he says, you're wrong on both accounts. Your body, it belongs to the Lord. If we're Christians. As a matter of fact, later on, down in verse 20, he'll even say, we've been bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So you see, the body does not belong to us. Our body belongs to the Lord. And we have no right doing with the Lord's body what the Lord has said, don't do. You see how these three passages deal with the appetite of the inner appetite of mankind? I need to believe. I need to understand. I need to be convicted tonight of this simple truth. Simply because I long for something 
does not make it right. Does not make it good. And the difference in being a child of God and one who, whose God is their belly is me being willing to submit my will, my decision. In other words, my desire at a moment might be carnal. But my will, my decision is, that doesn't matter. I want to do what God's will is. Now when we understand that, then we understand the very purpose for which we're made. In other words, we're not made to fulfill every desire that runs through our mind. We're made to fulfill the purpose for which God's created us. Tonight, what rules your life? Can you say beyond any shadow of a doubt, God rules my life? Here's the wonderful thing. God wants to rule our life, and His way is best. His way protects us. His way offers what is righteous and what is best. His way offers protection on this earth, and it offers rewards for eternity. And when I decide to do things my way, it ends up being carnal. It ends up being shameful. It ends up being destructive. Tonight, have you put your hands, have you put your life, have you put your heart in God's hands? If you are a believer that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're willing to repent and turn away from sins and you're not ashamed of the Lord, you're willing to confess before men that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, won't you tonight be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins? When you come up out of that water, you will have placed your life in God's hands. It's in that watery grave that God takes away the guilt of sin. It's in that watery grave where we're putting to death the old self-will and the sinful self, and we're saying to God, I want you to be my God. I want you to have your way in my life. And maybe there's someone here tonight that since you've been baptized into Christ, God hasn't had his way in your life. You've been living by an appetite that's carnal, not eternal. There's not a person here perfect. But let's make sure that we all leave here forgiven. And if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.